so close to the football season so let's do it yeah. and welcome to the down in front podcast the official podcast of downinfrontpodcast.com i'm your host warring and tonight we are giving you another marvel cinematic universe feature film ant-man and the wasp 2 super excited very very pumped we have the director coming back of peyton reed starring our lovely lovely paul rudd evangeline lily and a bunch of amazing other people including michael pena but before we get into that review and before we give you our thoughts we're gonna toss it over to what we normally would do we review movies tv shows and all while having a drink majority of the time alcoholic but sometimes people be lame and drink water but that's okay too because it's important to stay hydrated so i'm gonna toss it over to one of my best friends the mouth of the South. I can't live without him. Mr. Brylan, how's it going, man? What you been watching and what you been drinking? I've been doing well, very well. Uh, I just spent a few days in the uh, hot, hot South where I visited my hometown, Memphis, with my brother. I haven't hung out with him in a couple of years, so it's good to be with him. We celebrated America's birthday. And one of the gifts he brought to me on his trip from Latvia was uh, Latvia's uh, kind of official spirit which is called black balsam they call it a cursu and it's the way he described it is it's a bad version of jägermeister uh it definitely tastes like just cherry cough syrup I'll take another sip just to make sure hashtag sip to that hashtag sip to that yep i think i just took cough syrup but it does have definitely have a really really good bird to it so um <laughs> i wish we could see everybody could see your face right now it's so good uh so sip responsibly folks if you ever get to try this out um it's definitely very interesting i recommend drinking it while you're drunk um but what i've been watching recently <laughs> what i've been watching recently uh when i was down in new orleans uh my brother and our friends we got together and we Wanted to celebrate America, right? So we watched American Classic, uh, 1987's Predator, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers. Um, this is one of those few movies that I consider a perfect film. So it definitely knows what it is. It's an action movie. It's testosterone-fueled. It introduces you to some big macho special forces guys that are not as special as the ones in Jurassic World. They definitely have big guns and know how to use them. And it's just a packed-to-the-wall action romp. Uh, it's just fantastic. It's got quippy one-liners uh, that are not safe for work or anything. But uh, it is fun to watch. It's fun to watch just this remembering like the introduction of the alien known as the Predator. Um, I had totally forgotten, like, all you get at the very beginning of movies is a spaceship go by, and then you see a little probe shoot from it, and it goes into Earth's atmosphere. That's all you got to go. You don't really see the Predator until more than halfway into the movie, and you're just cutting back from what the Special Forces unit is doing to these weird uh, thermal colors and everything. You're just like, what the hell's going on right now? 
Uh, you're right there, just confused as hell with uh, Dutch and his team. And then all of a sudden, you meet the Predator for the first time, and he's quintessentially one of the most badass aliens ever introduced on film. It's fantastic. Definitely visit it, uh, especially around this time when it's hot summer, because it is kind of a summery type of film. It takes place in a hot jungle, uh, and it's definitely just a very quintessentially American action film. Good stuff. I absolutely love that film. I mean, and I now kind of want to go back and watch it because I'm like, damn, that was a great film, too. I should watch that more often. Yeah. And also the score is fantastic to it as well. So it's definitely worth listening as well. There you go. Well, as always, it's great to have you on, especially when we talk about Marvel films. So I'm excited to maybe come back a little bit on here. But at the same time, we're going to have some fun. So I'm pretty excited. Anything. Uh, to his left, we have the beautiful. The charming Mike the Shredder blew it. How's it going, Mike? What you been watching and what you sipping on tonight? Yo, I got like the most boring thing ever. Um, so I'm sipping on water. Uh, I had a nice 12 pack of uh, what is it? Not Sierra Nevada, what shoes it? Uh, they have put out like their champions 12 pack, so it's a um, they're all based on like the New England sports teams. So there's the Bruin. Uh, I think it's like an American Pale Ale. Uh, there's an IPA, which is I think like the Wally IPA. There's a uh, Belichick uh, Pilsner, um, and oh, what's the last one? Oh, the the White Mamba Wheat Ale, which I can't stand <laughs> wheat ales, but I freaking love Brian Scalabrini. So and like I can't believe after like the crazy storied past that the Celtics have. They chose the one redheaded guy who's probably by far the most important Celtic that's ever done the Jersey and stepped foot on the parquet. Um, but it is too damn hot. It's like, it's superseded like beer drinking weather here in my place. Uh, I'm one step above melting and just need liquid to make sure that I don't sweat out and dehydrate in the middle of this podcast. Um, as for what I'm watching, I, uh, I'm trying to like frantically catch up on all the Marvel television shows. Um, just tr- I've like four series that I need to get through by like Friday. So, that you know, jeez, oh, yeah, I got to make make concessions. I will say this, though. It was a nice bring back. Um, we're watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on uh, my DVR. And so they have uh, it's so, like they have like four month month old commercials which i always find as a hoot uh but i finally got to the infinity war episode um and they start referencing things that go on there so i'm not quite done with it but like it's kind of cool where they like actually name drop thanos um and how he interacts a little bit with the storyline yeah i probably brought that up a couple months ago and you're like yeah i'm not caught up yet i'm like son of a bitch nobody was caught up at that time so i couldn't talk about it but i'm glad you're finally there yeah i'm getting close to the end i should be able to finish it tomorrow probably there you go. I'm I'm excited to hear about your thoughts because the I talked about this a lot with my roommates now and they were kind of like mixed about it. Um, I thought it was like just okay. I just kind of want to expect it more, but we're more interested to see how they're going to also come back um, from the action that happened in Infinity War. So pretty cool to see. Mm-hmm. And I am Warren. I'll be your host this evening. Right now, I am in the beautiful city of Chicago, sipping on a line and Kugel shandy because it is shandy weather uh, in a nice fancy new robe. So thank you for that. And uh, I have been watching a lot of stuff, unlike Blewett. Uh, maybe too much stuff, but who knows? 
I uh, try to go watch uh, at least maybe three or four movies a week. So that's always exciting. Uh, the most recent one, I went through and said, you know what? I, uh, you know, I started with getting that AMC sort of movie, that new A-list pass. And basically, I just need to figure out a way to just watch three movies a week. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. And I'm trying not to watch two terrible movies. So I went and took a look at uh, The First Purge. Uh, I haven't seen any one of these other movies. So I think it would have been helpful for me to know some of the stuff that went on. But I also think that this was maybe the best movie that I need to walk in on because it like, explains more along the lines of the stuff that happens. Um, and one of the guys and I talked about the show called Insecure, but one of the guys from Insecure stars in this as one of the stars in the, in the actual movie itself. And the movie was okay. I mean, it, it took a lot of risks, and they just kind of had fun with it. You can clearly see that these people were having fun. It didn't really make a lot of sense to me, um, but I think this is like the fourth or the fifth one. Are you guys fans of the this Purge series at all? I haven't seen a I've single one. I've never seen any of them. But I, I <laughs> oh, damn, loved okay. the uh, the first ad they put out for this movie was just the MAGA hat. I think with uh, just it just said purge, but it was clearly like the Make America Great. Um, oh, was it or was it Make America Purge again? It was something that was so clearly related to like current. It was a beautiful marketing campaign they ran. Interesting. But I still have yet well, to they, see it. It's on my list they, though. They definitely, definitely mentioned the president of the United States in this movie. Um, and it was like a, one of the drops. I was like, oh, damn, good for you. And it was very early in the movie, like maybe 10, 15 minutes into the movie, that they kind of dropped that. And I was like, good for you. That's hilarious. There's a lot of asshole children in my theater, like 16, 17-year-olds for some strange reason. But uh, still very uh, fun. I had fun with the movie, but I don't think I would recommend watching it. But if... You know, I, I feel like the more the more and more that you get some of these summer movie blockbusters or something like that, it's more along the lines of people who are fans of the Fantastic, um, not the Fantastic Four series. I don't think anybody's a fan of that. Fast and Furious, there you go. So people who are like all the way bought in on those you know, four or five movies, then they probably will enjoy it. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, I see the the Purge as like the new version of Saw. So I'm sure it's. I don't think just, they're there yet. I mean. I mean, I'm sure it gets to that level of quality. So, I mean, it's I probably mean, the first of. one was the first film, Purge film that came out was probably actually really interesting and cool. And each consecutive one is just like, let's do it again at a cheaper budget. Well, I think the, I don't know if this one was the first one out of the storyline. If the, the name of it was called the first Purge, um, but they tried to set up, you know, the reasonings of why and. You know, sometimes it's also some politicalness that they can also bring about it too. Um, so I can kind of see how people would kind of sort of kind of seem it like that way. Also, you know, we talked a lot a lot about you know Sicario too, Brylin, and a lot of the things that they were kind of bringing like mentioning in that movie. I'm like, you know, that's pretty real. You know, obviously, like it's a little bit different, but you know, they talk about this purge and the government and what they're trying to do and some of the steps that they take. So I'll be curious to see like more and more people if they actually like this movie. I'm I'm gonna ask them. Why? Because I haven't seen any of the other ones as none of us. So we'll see. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. And if I may mention, since we're talking about a Marvel movie tonight, um, Reddit's uh, biggest thing that's happening right now, the snapping is over. So oh, no. 50,000 50, people got banned off of the uh, Thanos did nothing wrong subreddit. <laughs> so I guess they went with the original group of people and just cut that by half, even though it's exploded. 
since then. If you haven't seen this, if you're a Reddit user, literally if you go over to Reddit now, you'll see that that should be one of the top like eight or nine posts. This is pretty hilarious, so definitely go check it out. And who doesn't love Marvel films? Because I know that we do. So we're pumped. Uh, you know, generally speaking, what we normally like to do is kind of ask a question and kind of bring some stuff up. But we're actually going to go right into this. So if you haven't seen Ant-Man 2 or you haven't seen Ant-Man, the first one, we are going to spoil this. So if you haven't seen it, definitely pause the recording. Go watch the movie. It's literally everywhere. It's getting pretty good, really, really good reviews. I think we, you actually will enjoy it. And more along the lines, we'll talk about it. I think it's a, one of the better sort of summer kid or you know younger friendly sort of uh, movies to see so definitely go check it out uh come back and we will review and get ready for our full review of ant-man and the wasp and see you soon back and we in the down in front podcast uh, my name is warren i am with brylin i'm also here with blue it and tonight we're going to be giving you a full review completely spoiler full of ant-man and the wasp it's the sequel to ant-man directed by peyton reed starring paul rudd evangeline Lilly, michael pena now walton goggins which is awesome uh and all the other people michael douglas and everybody else that was from the uh, first film just about everybody so I'm excited to talk. We're going to be kind of breaking this down into a couple of different sort of sections. You know, well, this is going to be spoilers. So we're going to talk about the characters. We're going to talk about the plot and sort of anything else before we get into our conclusions. I'm, I'm going to start with the man of the hour, Mr. Essence himself, the mouth of the South. Rylan, t- talk to me about the characters for Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, yeah, so with Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, brings back Paul Rudd as Scott Lang, and uh, he continues to build upon this character, but big thing I love about Paul Rudd in this uh, movie, um, even though Blue will say everything, um, I would say the big thing that stands out is he has this way of balancing goofiness and being a good person. He doesn't struggle with like what it is to be a good dad. He just is a good dad in here. Um, and he's just someone that wants to do the right thing. He wants to help out. And so it makes a really cool journey for him in this movie where um, basically his whole journey through this film is all about um, trying to dodge the cops from his house arrest in order to find ways that he can help out Hank and, uh, and hope get their mom back. Uh, so I think uh, he does a really good, great job. Um, and he also is able to play off a great child actress, uh, Cassie. Uh, she does fantastic work in this film as well. Um, she uh, brings like this, I mean, just like a nice precocious eight-year-old, but she also knows how to keep it real as well. So, And they also have the, some goofy, nice uh, things like giving uh, him a trophy that says world's best grandma. Uh, that's which good. that's more true Hilarious. than you think due to the quantum entanglement yeah. with J- Janet. He literally is 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he is literally the world's best grandma. But wow. he's, she's not a grandma, though. Yeah, like, if he ever has not... kids, though. Yeah. Um, well, he has a kid, Cassie. Oh, yeah. So he is a grandma. No, he's <laughs> not a grandma. By way of uh, maybe, it's like a step grandma. Brown, yeah. I think the best way to describe uh, Scott Lang's character in the way that Paul Rudd perfectly portrays him is sincere. You know, you have yeah. a lot of like you have a lot of people and, you know, Tony Stark's the I guess the obvious one because you never give tech to Stark. Um, Tony Stark genuinely cares about a lot of things. He just comes off as really cold and and not caring due to his character where like, I, you know, Scott Lang might be the world's best grandma. Um, and he's he does. He is portrayed as a perfect as a, a good father, but he's not portrayed as this like superhuman you know, amazing uh, person. He's just like someone who's genuinely trying to find his way in life. Um, you know, for example, he's, he's divorced, you know, like that's obviously there's a lot of factors that go into that, but um, you know, it, it seems like he's constantly learning uh, and trying to become better, uh, which is something to be, you know, that you can genuinely like latch onto. He's not a billionaire playboy philanthropist, philanthropist, just- full on rapist. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I really enjoyed that because that, you know, it definitely makes a lot of sense of, you know, what he was trying to do. His motivation in the first movie carries over to his motivation in the second movie of, you know, he wants to be not only a good father, a great father, but he also wants to provide for his daughter and be supportive as much as possible. I know they had like some friction with Bobby Cannavale's character, which is you know, uh, like his, like Cassie's stepfather now, but now they're way more of a family, way more supportive. They're going over there. I think the one thing that was kind of overlooked, but I just thoroughly enjoyed the fact that we kind of sort of open up when we meet him and he's made this crazy like maze and they're like, they're doing all this and they're, uh, the crazy slide that goes all over the house and clearly took a long time to actually make, but he's basically created this entire play world because he can't leave his house for his daughter to, you know, show her that she still can have a good time with him when she can come over and visit. So I, I just thought that was great. You know, they didn't really ca- kind of call that out. Um, but, you know, he is still, even though he's an ex-con, he's still trying to do the right thing for her. And he's well, still trying to be supportive and do that for her. Can we, yeah. can we spotlight that? I One thing that I really love about this movie that they kind of alluded to um, was uh the relationship with the stepfather like usually that's like the, yeah. a hot point of contention and they didn't really like they they did a little bit of it in the first one but it was more like a you know they they actually played it really well it was like the dude was genuinely disappointed when he had to arrest scott and now it's like he's genuinely excited that he's like getting out <laughs> yeah. like i i think that that's you know you don't have to be best friends you know, because like, that might seem a little bit odd, but like also every single time that these things come up, it's always like, oh, my worst enemy, my kid's stepdad. Ugh. It's like, no, you know, I think in a lot of cases you try and make it work to raise your, your kid in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good to show like just highlighting non-nuclear families and like right. hey, they can work and everything. And like Bobby Cannavale, he doesn't get much screen time, but you know what? He doesn't have to do much. That group hug that he gives every single time. So good. Funny, but also sweet and endearing yeah. at the same time, which is great. Um, it's, like, it's like the perfect way to, you know, shape a side side character, right? A very, very minor role. But when they're on, like, even like him and Judy Greer, like when they're on screen, it's like it's 
you just want to be with this people. Like you just want to hang out with them. Looks like they're fun. They're bubbly and they're co- they're comedic. Uh, and like the way that they raise their family, they're raising Cassie is like probably the most healthy way to do it. Although it's not, you know, quote unquote, like stereo, like not stereotypical, but like uh, normal, right? Like it's still awesome. Just kind of see the, so many different ways that you can actually still be a supportive family. And so I was really happy to see that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just going along with the side characters that they brought back from the original film, they still do a fantastic job, even though they don't get as much screen time. So all of Scott's crew, Luis, uh, Kurt, and T.I., uh, they still do a fantastic job. I was laughing every time Kurt brought up Baba Yaga. Um, <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> and uh, Luis also gets a great moment to... Uh, to have one of his stories underneath a truth serum. And it's the whole thing is just talking about truth serum. True serum. It's not, it's, not, it's not truth serum. But just doing that like callback to seeing like when he first met uh, Scott in prison was hilarious with his hair and everything. Best de-aging <laughs> in the movie. Yeah, pretty much. I love the um, fact that they, they like build off of that. Uh, and they also made it so... The way that he was telling those stories from the first film, like, surprised the heck out of us. So everybody's sitting there in the movie theater, at least, kind of anticipating and waiting it for it to happen again. So you're sitting there, you're like, okay, how can they... I, at least for me, I was like, I'd love to see this again, but I don't want them to do the same thing they did before. You know, what are they going to do to kind of one-up themselves? And then once they talked about the truth serum, I'm like, oh, this is perfect because he won't be able to shut up. And even Dave, you know, <laughs> T.I.'s character was like, oh, no, you, you already let it out. He, and he, then he goes and even reenacts scenes from the first movie that I thought was hilarious and scenes we didn't even need, we didn't even see. Uh, so it was like kind of extra footage that they just had like voiceovers. Uh, I mean, it was just so well done. It was just such an enjoyable experience. It was It was pretty awesome. Yeah, I would also say, like, for uh, supporting cast, um, I would say probably the best addition is they had Run- Randall Park as Detective Wu, who is pretty much uh, Scott Lang's direct antagonist in this film, because he's the one that's monitoring his house arrest and checking in on Scott, and whenever small any small detail um, gets, in, gets out of whack, he's, like, they're, like, breaking down his house door, tearing the place off. is like, where's Scott? Where's Scott? And I mean, he does, he has some fantastic moments in there. And just like the whole thing about like Scott learned uh, magic and like just sleight of hand. <laughs> and then you see him later on in front of his computer, trying to learn the same tricks from the same website. <laughs> it was fantastic. So um, But it's cool because he's, uh, he's funny, he's ridiculous, but he never comes off as like the bumbling idiot cop. I mean, he seems like a cop that's just doing his job. Uh, Oh no, he seems like a bumbling idiot. I've never, I mean, I did, I never felt that he was like a dumb detective. He was learning, he's not, he's not Sherlock Holmes at all, but he's he's learning magic on the job. Who doesn't? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's true. That's true. Scott ran away from him in his underwear. He was like a block away at the end there. Like you didn't notice the dude in the under. I mean, I know it's San Francisco and every idiot's running around the block in underwear. Like that's, I know, I know it's kind of like common, but like uh, he, to me, so he came off as a bumbling idiot to me, but I was okay with that. Like I, it very much fit the tone. Um, 
And and again, like that scene at the end when when they asked if he wanted to go grab lunch and the awkwardness, but like <laughs> like sin, again, sincerity of it all was was like, oh yeah, well you know, I'll see you. Oh yeah, when when? Uh, I don't know, just like something. Some, yeah, like it just that like little go between was just such a great microcosm of this movie. I love yeah. how they just let that scene sort of like sit and like live. Yeah. And they had so many silent pauses of that because we thought it was going to be over. Then it just sat there and then they kind of let it go. And he's like, well, well what do you mean? And he's like, what? I'm like, I don't know if I will see for lunch. He's like, no, no, not at all. And then you thought it was going to be over. He's like, well, I mean, do you want to go? No, she's like, oh, well, you know, uh, it was just so good. I mean, that right there is probably funnier than anything that DC movie ever has done. Yeah, so. obviously. Honestly, I thought I kept on waiting for the post credit scene to happen then. So, like, I kept on waiting for because it was so awkward and blocked out and the movie was so unbelievably obviously done. You know, like there was nothing else. I just kept on waiting for people to start disappearing on us. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, that would that would have been tough. (laughs) Yeah. Like, (laughs) hey, man, when do you want to get lunch? Next Thursday? Or crazy. fast forward to next Thursday, and uh, he shows up and nobody's there. He's like, "Oh, <laughs> just dust in the wind." What else you got, Brylon? Uh, I would just say one last thing. Um, I actually enjoyed Evangeline Lilly in this movie more than I did in the first one. Um, I, she she just didn't seem like a compelling character to me uh, in the first film. Uh, kind of. Her her chip on her shoulder she had against Scott and her dad and everything just was too too uh, on the nose in the first film. In this one, she uh, she she has her wasp suit. She's allowed to use it and she has fun with it. That she's not just gonna be super badass. She's definitely knows her stuff. She's got her skills and everything. Um, but also, I like that she's she's approaching like her relationship with Scott in a mature maturish way it's not just like oh will scott love me or anything like that it's more of like how can scott and i work this out and i like that they took that approach to how they're going in the future um even though um i think that there are some times where she is she does get like goo goo eyes for scott at some point but uh (laughs) i i think it's nice to see uh hope have hope in this movie and nice. that she's that she's uh that she's enjoying being the wasp i think was like the big thing for this See? i mean even going off of that part i like the fact that when they did go into those movie the, those moments that it got um either too sappy or too serious or too funny like whenever they were coming in close to that moment there was always a character or a moment or a sequence that would always always kind of break it it was like oh we're in this universe is a little bit different and i love how michael douglas uh you know hank's character is there like just sitting in the back are you are you gonna be done like you know fantasizing about my daughter and we can do so he's like oh yeah sorry all right let's yeah. let's, let's, let's do that and then he did again are you done like staring into each other's eyes so we can escape so we, before we get shot he's like oh yeah let's do that i'm sorry so I think that was great that they just kept kind of breaking that up. Um, so we don't get that movie that, you know, we think that we're going to get. I will say this. I did like uh, Hope better in the first one uh, because she was darker. She had that like. That scene when she covers the lights with the ants was like 
there's nothing like that for her character in this movie. I don't, if I, I can't remember at least, where she was legitimately like teetering on that edge. And it seems like, I haven't read, a, I really haven't read much into her character, but she does become a villain in the comics. I think the Red Queen is her villain name. Brown, you might be able to, to correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and so they, they, that little scene was, a f- was flirting with that concept that Hope has a lot of evil energy in her upbringing. She obviously you know, didn't have a super stable life, and then all of a sudden her mom's gone, and she's stuck with a dad who, like, on the outset, clearly, you know, to her, clearly doesn't care about her. Um, and so she has this like massive evil undertone. Um, and I would have loved to have seen it explored a little more. Uh, I think she went a little bit too, uh, like sappy for mom, like not sappy in the the same way they did in the first, uh, the first movie where like Scott was constantly being like, Oh, this was a moment. This is nice. You know, like did I just yeah. ruin it? Oh, which I thought was hilarious. But anyways, um, where I think she was. It, so it's not in that way, but it's more just like, you know, we have to get my mom. We have to get my mom. They, they should have honestly done a little bit more on her being a little bit more reckless abandon type person, because then that would have aligned heavily with the ghost character where ghost is defined ghost isn't a villain and i'm going to talk about this i think like ghost isn't a villain she's a person that was dealt a bad card in life and has a possible solution and that she wants to go after it you know realistically even the whole kidnapping cassie thing which they did in the first one which i thought was hilariously meta that they're like we're not touching kids um you know like she still tries to do the least evil things possible to try and cure herself now i know she was an assassin for shield and there's a nice parallel with bucky but um but yeah like they could have had hope be a little bit more reckless abandon willing to do whatever to try and get her mom to line up and then have that parallel with ghost that would have been an interesting just to see like two two characters that are willing to do anything pot any any give up any like moral ground to actually accomplish their goals and see them hit go head on um i think that was like kind of like one thing with ghost that i like that that was kind of her motivation that she was fighting for literal survival um i just wish they did more with her character i wish we didn't just get the quick montage about her life and then we're just she's thrown into the mix of being just a roadblock in order to get Janet out of the quantum realm. Um, and but I would say the same. She wasn't really a roadblock. Like they were all kind of working on the same science, just from like different. Yeah, I don't know. It, it seemed like to me, my problem was the end where like Janet came out of the quantum realm, and then all of a sudden, Ghost was like, "Oh, I guess I'm like fine now." She did like Jenna the whole has magic fingers. Yeah, they yeah. didn't really talk about too much. A that, little too easy. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, it was definitely a convenient wrap up. Yeah. So. I could have used a, a little. We'll talk. I, I'm going to talk a little bit more about in the plot, like when we talk about plot. But, but yeah, I, I could have. I, I needed a darker hope because to me, that was what made her character so great in the first one. Yeah. I, I would say another character that didn't. Um, really feel like they fit in this movie was Walton Goggins, Sonny Birch. He's just, he came off as just uh, a Walton Goggins character. Definitely very 
something he knows how to do and it's like okay this is a random arms dealer that just pops out of nowhere and he's uh, always just popping up to get in the way of uh, of uh, getting the goal accomplished of getting Janet back just because he wants the technology and wants to sell it. I mean, he's very thinly veiled uh, antagonist, so I wouldn't even call him a villain. He is just literally just a roadblock because there's something I'll bring up in the plot that I think is actually kind of more villainous than anything that Ghost does or Sonny Birch does. Yeah, I was hoping that Sonny Birch or Walton Goggins' character was actually alluding to something else that's we even, like, we're not entirely sure. I think they also kind of mention it in the first, you know, the Ant-Man, the number one, when um, after the whole thing falls out in the laboratory, the guy who kind of sort of was for S.H.I.E.L.D., I'm not entirely sure if he was, like, for Hydra Hydra. or something like that. Yeah, he he wasn't for S.H.I.E.L.D. at all. Okay, that's. So I thought they were going to go that route too. Yeah, but I, I still think that they were alluding to that of you know because he's he even said something about like he the the person or the the not organization but basically there's somebody or something the like buyers, higher than him the buyers the buyers yeah and I and I alluded to them talking about like that's Hydra so then that was two things that we got from Hydra and. You know, we have the stereotypical in this particular case, the stereotypical villain that's going to get foiled, right? I don't even still don't count him as a villain. I just count him again. What you were saying, Brylin, but um, I I was thinking that seeing him mean that that was something that Hydra was doing, um, and that's why they still wanted that technology because they already have some of the stuff from the first movie, and then they wanted even more because they're developing something else. Uh, but we didn't get that, you know, or you know, if they did, they were not very clear or very super super vague, and so it definitely felt a bit uh, misplaced. Yeah. I did like the interrogation scene though, so and I like uh, Walton Goggins' character. I just really want him not to be in a villain role. That'd be great if he's just like not a bad guy anymore. Because yeah. the moment you see him on screen, you're like, shit, you're gonna be a bad dude. Yeah, aren't you? yeah. yeah, just like Sean, like Sean Bean. Well, you're gonna die in this movie, aren't you? Yeah, you're, yeah, you're gonna to, die. To me, uh, Sonny Birch's character was not—he wasn't like bumble. He was this weird middle ground that he wasn't bumbling enough to be like comic relief, but he wasn't competent enough to be scary. Like you know, yeah. you were worried about Ghost actually interfering with all the plans, whereas Goggins was like, "Oh, okay, he's like trying to interfere and uh, like definitely gonna fail," but like. I don't know. He 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 just wasn't one way or the other. They could have made him way more incompetent. And like um what's this called? Wu, right? That's the uh the FBI. They could have made him like yeah. Wu where he was like just kind of some bumbling idiot that like sometimes stumbled into some good stuff. Um but they didn't. You know, he just kind of like he's like, "All right, well, kind of a gangster that sometimes does things right." So, uh, Blue, what else you got about the characters before we move into plot after my couple cents? Yeah, a uh, couple things. Um, first of all, I, ha- I just have to start with I love Paul Rudd uh, more than, you know, the sun loves the moon. Um, that doesn't even make sense, but whatever. That should be the earth and the moon. Um, they, you know, whatever. I love you, Paul. Um, well, the, sun, the sun and the moon love each other. That's why they, they're star-crossed lovers, because they can never meet. Because one always has to be up and the other one's down. So you're you're right. Except not when the you see the, the moon in, in the daylight. Anyways, uh, to me, the school uh, and Janet bits were hilarious. Like, oh, so yeah. I never needed knew I needed to see 
uh, pint-sized Paul Rudd running around. One-foot-tall Ant-Man. Yeah, and then okay. seeing seeing him, like, the reveal when he, like, holds up his hand and is just holding Michael Douglas. <laughs> like, that's freaking amazing. I was losing it for that. Um, let's see. Uh, a couple last thing. Honestly, I talked about most of my points during Brylin's section. Um, but I will say this, uh, it needs to be said again. Cassie is freaking awesome. Um, she plays that weirdo 10 year old, like so unbelievably well. And, uh, I was super rooting for her to get like the partner nod. And honestly, I'm like kind of excited, uh, in the comics, she's a big character in a group called the young Avengers. So in six or seven years if they wanted to do like the teen version of you know teen hero uh version that they're kind of getting started with like the runaways and cloak and dagger um they could do a young avengers movie and have her kind of spotlight it after they've done you know ant-man 3 um and then uh, it really just goes into uh the place of like how terrible ty simpkins is uh because dude sucks dude sucks um I know Warren had this one thing spotlighted about uh, superhero costumes, so I'm going to let him go off on that. But uh, this did solve the the Civil War motivation question, which I really like. You know, it, it goes without saying that Marvel's at this great, unique platform that they can both foreshadow and either hard or soft retcon things as they come up because they know they're doing X amount of movies involving X amount of characters, you know, so many years in advance. Um, and they can also respond to criticism once a, a previous one. And so one of the big things I saw, uh, was like, why the hell is Ant-Man with Steve Rogers, um, you know, a fugitive when he could get in trouble with the law. And, and they answered it perfectly. Cause if you rationally thought about it after civil war came out, it's like, well, Ant-Man was there cause captain fricking Avengers America, asked him to it's like you you were he was going to be there the whole accords thing was happening so quickly that probably it wasn't signed as law so it's something that he wouldn't necessarily have known about going into that situation um there's no way in hell like a sea level city hero like ant-man much like spider-man is going to turn down one of the biggest people in i guess your profession um, and I loved how they talked about that. And that was like the beginning motivation of like uh, of Hank Pym saying like, oh, I, we're cutting ties. Um, and, and it was a it was a well done retcon of just saying, yep, this is why this happened. And it makes a previous movie make more sense. Yeah. Um, and, and me just watching that movie just recent, like re- actually yesterday, he kind of went against his will um, and they smuggled him out of the United States into Germany. So I thought that was also like no, interesting. No, that was he was he was for that. The joke there was that he fell asleep. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he was totally for it. Yeah. Nice. Never mind that. Freaking tic tac. <laughs> but yeah, otherwise it was great. it was the the character I could have used. Uh, again, this is more a plot thing, but like more Janet, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. I really didn't feel like I knew her as well as I wanted to. Um, cause she's a very good actress and I was, I was hoping to spend more time with her, but otherwise I thought that they did a great job. I mean, you had, you had, uh, uh, Bill Foster and ghost, you had the main three, you had, um, the two side teams and then you had like the FBI agent, like you had five or six collections of characters in this one. And otherwise I, I felt it was, you know, perfectly balanced. I feel like you say that 
every every review that we do. By the way, since that I really like out. I like that movie. Uh, a couple of things I want to say about the characters. I'm really glad to see Lawrence Fishburne is actually now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and in the DC Universe. So big props to you, my friend, because uh, good on you. Uh, it was nice to see him in this movie. And something that he also doesn't die because he's also been a weird thing of he started dying in a lot of movies, too. Yeah. So uh, things kind of sad since The Matrix. He just dies in everything um, or almost dies or whatever. Um, the other thing I liked about this movie is that for some odd reason, but I really, really enjoy it. There's a lot of satire, and they, and they really pick up on a lot of tropes uh, and things that they just kind of make fun of. And there was two in particular that I wanted to kind of call out of when Scott is, you know, very, very big. And first of all, when Scott was very, very big, and he was using the truck as like a, um, like a, a toy, a skateboard, <laughs> what you normally would do, put your knee on. I was like, oh my gosh. Somebody clearly who knew who who put that in has children or has seen that happen multiple times because that's exactly what you would do. I thought it was amazing. But I think they were also making a claim or they're talking about the fact that uh, maybe I picked this up, but people in San Francisco or, you know, this generation is so wrapped up in whatever they want to do. So it's a back shot that you see Scott coming down and he's stopping the truck and he's like messing up all the entire streets. But the shot is in the back, and we're in the cafe looking out the window, and nobody in that internet cafe are even paying attention at all. And they're all in their computers and texting on their phone and everything. And so I was like, oh, really? I really enjoy that. But like very, very quick, very, very subtle. They don't like highlight it a lot. So I I really, really enjoy that. And then the other one, I think this may have been one of the funnier jokes to me. I think I was the only person laughing in the theater is uh and Brylin, you called it out of i think this was more of a joke against like captain america but i just took it as a joke against all movies entirely of you know putting a hat and sunglasses on is not a disguise and paul red's like walking he's like what are you what are you doing they can still see us it just looks like we're going to the baseball game so i love the fact that they pick up on comics or every like literally almost every movie we've seen of that's your disguise. Come on now, you have to try harder. So not only are they like making fun of that, but then fast forward when Scott is breaking, you know, Hank and uh, Hope out of uh, the police station, he gives Hope, and I love how the reveal happens because it was one at a time. He gets Hope her suit, and, like she was all good to go. And then Hank goes, well, what about me? And the first thing he, the thing that he gives him is hat, sunglasses. I was like, oh my gosh. And sure enough, this fucker just walks right out of the door. I was like, come on. That, if that's not like some, again, that meta, but that's some serious, like funny bits that's putting them, like very, very situational comedy that's happened there. That it's a joke that comes back than what they initially kind of talked about in this movie. And it's, a, it's something that we've seen Captain America do earlier in this entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I just really, really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed just kind of being with these characters. I really enjoyed just about everything Louis, uh, Luis. I was really scared to see how they were going to do his bit. I think we talked about it before, but I'm just glad they kind of give him a little bit more motivation uh, because their business is potentially going to go, go bankrupt, right? So it's nice yeah. to give you know these side characters their own separate sort of motivation. Uh, and things that they were kind of be working on too. So um, I was just glad that they actually kind of did that. So it was pretty cool. So let's uh, 
if we're good on characters, let's talk about plot. Uh, so let's talk some more about plot here. I know we kind of mentioned some other things, but uh, Bradley, what you got for me? Uh, yeah, I'll start with uh, some big picture ideas. So overall, I think it's really cool that uh, Marvel's establishing this as the kid-friendly or family-friendly movie series that they have, that it is much more lighthearted. It's uh, going to be a little bit more sillier and kookier than the other Marvel films. It doesn't have to go into uh, these epic fights in the cosmos. It doesn't have to uh, have giant uh, villains to actually uh, fight. It's, it is like literally a small picture and it's dealing with real life situations, but in like a nice lighthearted way. So I think that's really cool that they've established Ant-Man as that uh, kid friendly action hero. Um, also think, I mean, this is uh, one of those few movies that uh, when it comes to the effects, it gives shrinkage a, a good name, uh, but also growth as well. I mean, any type of uh, special effects for Ant-Man getting small or getting big and giant, it looks fantastic as well. Um, it, and it even looked, it looked fantastic, but they, I feel like they didn't do as much with it like that when he first shrinks and is running around the house like that was genuine, genuinely like fantastic cinematography. And they, they did it a lot of like macro production and they did have a macro production unit on it. It just didn't feel the same. And maybe that's because yeah, they, they, they got them big for half the movie, but I don't know. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, once they establish that, yeah, not only can it get really small, he can also get super huge. I mean, it the ballpark's open of what you can do with the character. So um, I think it's more of that they didn't really feel like they needed to take time for him to actually experience, oh, what is the different skewed perspectives he has now? that was kind of already made. Let's just see him in action using these powers in different creative ways, which I thought was really cool. Um, and um, I like that even though we have kind of like three or four pretty much perfectly balanced uh, storylines going on, primarily the, um, the main plot is getting Janet back. And when you have this whole idea of like uh, creating the quantum tunnel and the um, the little uh, probe or uh, scooter that takes them, it's not a scooter, but the little <laughs> ship that takes them into the quantum <laughs> tunnel, um, I think that it's really neat to see like all the different realms that they have going into the quantum field as well that we didn't really see in the first one, especially like the tardigrade realm where <laughs> you see these giant water bears that look menacing and frightening as hell, even though they're super microscopic. Um, and I think uh, that uh, it's uh, really neat because it makes kind of time the villain here. It's just a race against time to say, we have this lock on Janet's position the only thing that we need to do is get in there and get her, but we have all this other stuff to deal with too, whether it's house arrest, whether it's, um, whether it's, uh, Walton Goggins character, whether it's ghost trying to use the, steal the technology from us, we got to figure a way out to isolate those events to be able to actually save her. And, uh, surprise they do, uh, which, uh, it leads to, uh, a lot of questions about Janet now. So she comes back from the quantum realm. She's been there for 30 years. She's kind of made, she like made her own sword out of her wings, which was 
pretty neat. She had like a torn up costume, but like kind of retrofitted it. Many questions about how did she stay nourished while she was there? Um, mm-hmm. How does she not get bored or anything? But also, how does she come back from that place and have magical powers to um, set uh, Ava's equilibrium correct so she's not phasing out of everything? So a lot of big questions that hopefully in the third film they'll actually start to address and talk about uh, if we see Janet again. Um, but um, I think uh, that it's uh, the like also a really good adventure was Scott like just finding these different creative ways to uh stay house arrested but get out of the house as well like I love just having the ant program to actually go through his daily routine whether it's like two hours in the bath or in the bathroom why who knows <laughs> um but just seeing the ant like go through his drumming routine on his drums was hilarious and um it's um really cool to just see like they actually took a really creative approach to all these very mundane situations just because with a character like ant-man you can you definitely have limitless possibilities of how you can use his powers but also scott lang being a very creative minded uh individual that can figure things out as well which i think is really cool um like during the story like the big thing the only time it actually felt like it ground to a hot was halt was um when sunny and his crew showed up i felt like i was just pulled into a totally different movie and i was like uh this is annoying i want to get back to the stuff that's about ant-man like this high sci-fi mixed with uh full house antics uh, which I found is the fun part of it. And then when Sonny comes on, yeah, he's goofy, but um, he's just the wrong character to have in this movie. Um, I think the whole Sonny part could have been cut off and we could have just had Ghost and the quest to get Janet back, and I think it would have been a much better movie. Uh, and then after all this fun and like uh, like just an adorable scene at the end with where uh hope and scott and cassie are watching a film on an iphone uh, and <laughs> shrunken toy cars and everything um they have a post credit scene where the snap happens and we learn that ant-man's alive after the snap but he's trapped in the quantum realm and we don't know how he's going to get out of there because hank hope and janet have all turned to dust oh, so good Except for yeah the time that was just like tracks. I just had all this fun and everything. Now you're going to remind me of this gut punch. You just punch me in the gut again. That yes. makes the, the ant scene, uh, the last last post-credit scene they did, even more heartbreaking that that ant is just programmed until it dies to do the same thing over and over. And the only people that can unprogram it to break that loop are gone. And it's just yeah, like... Unless Scott figures out a way out. Well, time vortex. Spit them out in the five years in the future, or there's a safety mm-hmm. uh, there's a safety uh, mode to get them back out of the tunnel. I mean, he did go in there to collect all the energy, and that yeah. energy is. I mean, yeah, he could I mean, potentially kind of use that energy. He will. He will definitely be out for Avengers Four. Uh, they said he was going to be in Avengers, and they shot them both together. So he w- he should be there yeah. in some capacity. Um, my my yeah, uh, that uh well that. I would say one thing uh, that post credit scene also brings up an interesting thing that Ava, I mean, Janet didn't fix her completely, that she still needs quantum energy to stay stabilized. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder if she 
is not also can't be affected by this. So that'll be interesting to see. Because if she's phasing in and out, basically living in the world in between, and she's not in this world and not in this universe, that, you know, and other people are even asking of, did Scott get saved because he was just part of the half, or did he get did Scott get saved because he was in the quantum realm? And um, I think, I mean, the guess the way that I'm looking at it is the quantum realm's different realm entirely. Um, so he's basically unaffected by whatever happens in there. No, nah, he, he would be affected by that. Um, the quantum realm is still part of this universe. That includes like Dormammu's realm. Like technically Dormammu could have been snapped out of existence. Um, what else have we seen so far of like different places? Um, everything in Doctor Strange so far. I mean, yeah. yeah. So like that's all it's part half of the sentient life in the entire universe, right? Which that doesn't include other universes. So, well, microverse Marvel, is a different universe. The quantum realm is the microverse, and that's a no. It's like, it's part of it because because there's like so there's the multiverse, which basically says like different uh, universes containing the same collection. So there's multiple. Earths, there's multiple microverses or quantum realms, whatever they're calling it. There's multiple, like wherever Domamu's from, you know, that that's that stuff is unaffected. Um, but yeah, I think he, I think he's like survived on his own. No, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Blue, what you got? All right. So, yeah, I, I think they, they really could have spent more time in the quantum realm hunting for Janet. Um, they built her up as this like impossible figure, uh, this tragic figure in the first one. And, um, realistically we got like maybe five, 10 minutes of actual Michelle Pfeiffer on screen. Um, and we didn't get a ton of time in the actual race down to get small enough to find her. Um, it seems like he just kind of shrunk had the one little hiccups with the tardigrades, um, and then found her pretty much immediately after that. Um, it would have been cool to see him, uh, navigate around, uh, like strange was navigating through those, that those strange realms, just from like a visual perspective, uh, from the narrative perspective, it would have been nice to get to know, uh, the original wasp, um, get to see her like actually, fight maybe you know get to see her power set and and really explore how she changed she alluded to you don't necessarily change you evolve and like what the hell does that mean do i gotta wait another three years before they pump out ant-man 3 to kind of fight assuming that she comes back you know um to realistically find what what that is uh i i didn't want to you know i i, I kind of want to just like spend the the tongue in cheek title of this movie is Ant Man and the Wasp, and like the obvious one is like, oh, Hope got the suit, and now she can she can be the the heir apparent of the Wasp. The way that you could also take it is Ant Man and the original Wasp, and Ant Man the hunt to find her. I think uh, I forget which one of you guys said that you could pretty much take out Sonny Birch's uh, section. Just I agree with you. Cut all of that. Cut all of that and spend more time uh, finding Janet in the. Uh, what are we calling this thing now? The quantum realm? And then spend quantum way realm. more time with her outside of it. It would have been interesting to have a full-on fight between Ghost and uh, the Wasp. I think that would have satisfied a lot of those, like, really show what the Wasp is capable of, but also and also give Ghost a little bit more screen time and a little bit more, like, your credibility as a main villain. Um, I think this film didn't really have a main villain 
per se, which I, I think kind of worked. Uh, you know, in Ant-Man 1, I would postulate that Darren Cross is not the main villain of the movie, but in fact, it is um, the relationship between parent and child and their exploration of that. And that's realistically the, the primary cause of like friction through it. Um, in this case, uh, I forget which one of you has the note, uh, but I like it, so I'm going to steal it. Vryland, where the, the real villain is time. Um, that's all goes to Vryland, but I, I really like it, and that's absolutely correct, where it is it's kind of like a, a race. You know, who cares about the, the people standing in the way? It's like the metaphysical thing that really you should be, you know, like worried about. Um, but that being said, a big fight between Ghost and Janet, especially if Ghost truly went, like, super like scattered, you know how like she was slowly coming unhinged where like you basically couldn't touch her at all cuz she existed in like six planes of reality at once and the only ones that could physically like figure out how to like affect her would be Janet would have been really interesting. Yeah. Also think uh they did a really great job with the effects for Ava yeah. when she was phasing in so and out cool. and yeah. uh Ghost's uh suit and costume just how she moved and everything was fantastic. I really enjoyed that because she was there were certain moments and when there was like the shadow or the phase that was happening and it was getting ready to show an exam like in a um, it was like sometimes that they would hold and like those little things that like her shadows that was like pop in and out of the phases. It was either speeding up and was like ahead of time and some of them was like behind the time. So she was getting ready to actually kind of react to something and then she would go into there or she would already be kind of reacting from before and it would like just pause on there until she moves. Uh, I thought that was a I I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. That was really, really cool um, effect. Uh, I really, I really enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, I, silently, Ant-Man has the coolest cinematography. Uh, like, the, we talked about this before, but the macro uh, photography in the, the first one, and then this one with, like, I, I don't even know how you really do it. You know, mm. I mean, it should be, you know, where you're taking essentially seconds before and after. It's like t- taking a live photo on an iPhone, but you get it all kind of at once. And it, that's pretty sweet that they were able to do that with just her character and blend everything around her. For sure. Yes. Last and thoughts before we go into conclusions, guys? I'm, I'm good. Cool. Bradlin, what you got for me? Any lasting thoughts? I'm good. Bradlin, what you got for me for your conclusion? Um, I think uh, that Ant-Man and the Wasp is... Still a very fun and adorable Marvel film. Uh, definitely Ant-Man's becoming that really just absolute just fun romp for the uh, for movies in, in general. And uh, I think it was a great palate cleanser to have all this like lightheartedness and everything after the epicness of Infinity War. Just having this more small story. And uh, Paul Rudd still knocks it out of the park as Scott Lang. So it's fantastic. Uh, definitely go see it. It just suffers from the same issues as the first film, where um, the antagonists are kind of thinly veiled and weak. Blue, what you got? This is going to sound weird. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. It was hilarious. It was heartwarming. It was... Uh, you just kind of want to like pinch the whole movie on the cheek and you just go, you did a great job. Like, yeah. Honestly, this is the first that time... That does sound I'll- weird. 
I'll ever say this though. I think this movie suffered from superhero fatigue. Um, because I think it is a top tier Marvel film, um, which in of itself is kind of annoying that like, there's no inherent risk that you're going to walk into a, a movie made by Marvel and it be terrible. You know, like there's the literally, you know, a lot of these films you go in, you're like, there's that tiny bit, even if you're like, Oh, okay. It, I don't know much about it, but it should be good. Um, there's that tiny risk of like, Oh wow, this could be absolutely awful with Marvel. They just don't miss anymore at all. Um, but I think you're getting a little bit of superhero fatigue in a weird way. Um, it just, it happened too soon after the snap. I think this movie would have been better off suited in November. First of all, you would have given them, uh, everyone a nice little tide over of like, yes, this universe is still reacting to the snap in its post credit scenes. Um, but it would have been that like, it would have been a true palate cleanser of like, oh, here's the, the good one to remind you, hey, we're still Marvel. Uh, this movie comes three months two and a half really after probably one of the most important comic book films of all time. And then it comes only three months prior to the three months after another one of the most important comic book movies of all time. Like it, it can't be understated enough how much uh, infinity war and black Panther have done for, for nerddom everywhere. Um, and I think that Ant-Man, it's a fantastic movie and it just gets overshadowed because there's nothing in it that's like, that's getting that much buzz, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, I know, I know. But it's, I think it would have been better off as a November release um, just because of, like, weirdly enough, superhero fatigue. I wasn't as excited going into this and I freaking love, uh, loved the first one. Nothing like a November release to release it either around Thanksgiving to know that this snap comes when the entire family disappears. Would have been perfect. Perfect Disney movie. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, um, just to get people excited, uh, they finished filming on Captain Marvel today. Yes, they did. Spoiler alert. I can't wait to see that stupid trailer. I'm probably going to skip it. Uh, I love this movie. Um, I loved everything about this movie. I love the fact that there was, you know, very great writing. But I think the biggest thing that I really liked about this movie, I think we talked about it a lot, was the character piece and the performances that we got from it. Um, and we picked up where we left off, and then we even grew with these characters even more. Um, we got just a lot of stuff that they kind of packed into this movie to make it a really, really successful sequel. So I'm definitely going to obviously recommend this and I'm glad that they kind of kept it uh, family friendly, right? Um, even the moments when Paul Rudd is acting like Michelle Pfeiffer or he's acting like uh, Janet's character, I thought that was just amazing. And not only was it a hilarious visual gag, but they actually still give us a ton of exposition in that scene. And so they they have the ability to then layer on these things continuously that again i don't think we've seen before and 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 then also do it so well but also sincere but yet funny and you have a very complex set of emotions watching paul rudd be michelle pfeiffer and talk about being a scientist about not being able to see your mother for over 30 years but there's a time like there's just so much in it and it's funny, right? Like on the surface it's funny, but you're like, oh shit, if you unpack that, that's that's tough to think that somehow, you know, 
you know, Janet came in contact with Scott and planted herself like 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 an echo so that they can find her later on. Like, come on, that's crazy. Um, yeah. So just that right there, right? And there's not a lot of stuff that we talked about, and there's a lot of stuff that we didn't talk about in this movie, but that still thinks amazing. Like, people go watch this movie. Definitely a good movie to see. Definitely is going to be great because the next Marvel film we're not going to get until next year, right? Yeah. So yeah. unless you know some other schedules, uh, oh yeah, they moved definitely up go Infinity see this movie. War. Sorry, but I didn't mean to sound negative. War. No, no, no. But they moved up Infinity War, so it's funny that we talked about this. No, 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 no. This first one. Oh, now. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Infinity War would have been arguably closer <laughs> to... One way closer. Ant-Man. Yeah, but, which is still, like, you know, close enough, you know, but it's still something that's interesting to see here. So, definitely gonna watch the movie and uh, do it. And with that, we are the Down to Front Podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us. That was our review of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, that is in theaters right now, so definitely go check this out. And, uh, Brylan, where can people find more of your work? Uh, you can find me, Fearing Baba Yaga, on Twitter at Brylon, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. You can also find me on Instagram at I am Brylon, where I'll post many movie reviews from time to time. And also, I'm the host of the Gamescast, Twitch.com. TV slash downfront podcast. We are coming back very, very soon. Uh, the Shredder, what you got for me? What shows you got coming up? Hey, we're playing in a week and a half somewhere, depending on when this. I mean, it might be tomorrow, depending on how long it takes me to edit this thing. Um, down in Cambridge. Yeah. Uh, we should be shredding some pretty good butts at that one. Um, as for if you want to get in contact, uh, we just set up a new Twitch channel uh, called Jesse Rand Takes Truth Serum um, at dot twitch.com. Is it? I don't even know what it is. Is it at Twitch? (laughs) Yeah. It's twitch.tv. It's just just Jesse injecting (laughs) random stuff uh, into him and seeing what happens. Um, I guess it's just Jesse Takes Drugs uh, at dot twitch.tv. Don't do that. Don't, don't, Don't look that one up. I'm scared about that one. It's just John Stamos and Uncle Jesse just free basing crack. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uncle Jesse's alone. I'm just kidding. John Stamos still looks incredible 20 years later. Of course. So does Paul Rudd. Oh, Paul Rudd always looks crazy. Good. And you can find more of our work. Check out our website, downinfrontpodcast.com. Um, we are on Instagram that we post a bunch of like different like small videos, and uh, we do a bunch of like matinee sections. Or whether it's all of us going to tell you like kind of quick hits of you know things that we've been watching for right now that we may not necessarily review. Check out our work on on Facebook, facebook.com/slash/downinfrontpodcast. On Twitter, underscore daf_p. Um, you can definitely check us out if you like what we're doing. If you definitely want to kind of support us for like kind of offsetting costs, definitely become a patron. Check out. You can hang out in our Discord channel. We've been talking about a bunch of different movies and different things, and you actually will be able to be on our next episode. So definitely check that out um, for patreon.com slash down podcast. Um, thanks so much, everybody. I appreciate your time. Uh, we will definitely see you shortly um, for our next review of Luke Cage. So stay tuned for that. And we have been the Down in Front Podcast, and we will say so long, farewell. Avita say, go to sleep. Oh, yeah. Yeah.